it's beyond a simple question of access, but you really delve into the questions of affordability and adoption and bringing other data sets into the conversation. I truly believe that that is an approach that it's really catching fire. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. Today, I'm bringing back a really fun guest we've had on a, a few times at this point, Mr. Matt Schmidt, who is currently the director of the Illinois Office of Broadband and chair of the Illinois Broadband Advisory Council. Welcome back. Christopher, great to join you. It's really great to have you back. Um, uh, people can start their watches in 20 minutes. Uh, Minnesota Gophers start playing, and I'm, I'll put that on the background and just start ignoring you. So the questions will be like less relevant. <laughs> You're going to do the same thing. We're going to be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so we met at the University of Minnesota. Um, you know, and even though you're in, in Evanston now, um, I'm, I'm curious: are you are you turning into more of a Northwestern fan? Um, sticking with the Big Ten? Are you staying with their Minnesota roots? Well, I have to tell you, it's been uh, it's been a joy seeing all these Big Ten teams pass through town, and uh, I've been able to remain a Gopher fan from afar. And so, I did on a very cold day in the fall of 2019, uh, watch the Gopher football team beat up on uh, the, the Wildcats. But uh, I'm a Gopher through and through. Excellent. Uh, and the other thing I'll say is that just so people know, we're recording this on a Sunday, and I think I think it's hilarious because like I view like this is a great opportunity for me, and you like felt bad that we're talking on a weekend, and I'm like I'm just glad to get a piece of your schedule, you know. So so I think it's also worth noting that you're you're a pretty nice guy. So well, you know, there's a lot going on in broadband these days, so I think you and I are staying busier than perhaps we were a year or two ago. Yes. So what's happening in Illinois? You know, I feel like you guys may be more prepared than almost any other state because Illinois made one of the largest, and I mean, like you could argue, but possibly the largest commitment of its own dollars to broadband before all this federal money came out. And you were the only one really prepared to spend big bucks in some ways. Yeah, turn back the clock to 2019 and, and Governor Pritzker and the General Assembly, they invested $420 million in broadband as part of their historic $45 billion rebuild Illinois package. And so I just re really give credit to, to leaders in the state of Illinois for anticipating, I think, the, the wisdom of the investment in broadband, of putting you know the magnitude of funding behind the broadband vision that was needed. And Connect Illinois has really taken off since. And so I, I think that the state of Illinois is very well prepared uh, to receive, you know, truly historic dollars, whether it's the the infrastructure bill or or ARPA, uh, and apply those to to broadband. And so you look at the, the Connect Illinois broadband grant program. Uh, we're ready to to apply those federal dollars straight to that program and uh, and double down on on an investment that we all know is is going to be uh, very wise and, and stand the test of time. When you combine this with the unprecedented federal investments through the rescue plan, the infrastructure investment and jobs act <laughs> slowly going. You got down. it. <laughs> um, and, and a few other things, I kind of wonder if you have like a murder board in your office that has like, like, you know, like all these strings between these different things, like to try and like figure out how to tell the difference between these different pots of money. Is that a challenge? Well, I think what's what's been good to see so far is the close alignment between you know the state approach uh, in Illinois and what uh, what uh, Treasury rule for the Capital Projects Fund included, and so you you see a thread that, that's historic that goes you know from Treasury to Illinois to Minnesota and a lot of the best practices that have been stood up over the past decade, and I think that consistency is really helpful for a state like Illinois. Uh, the, the state doesn't need to really change anything. I, I think when you look at the values that are uh, applied. Uh, 
uh, to its uh, connected Illinois grant program. Uh, what's been articulated in, in Treasury's rule, I think there's just a lot of similarity there. And I, I'm hoping that we're going to see that with, uh, with NTIA and their bead program. That's going to help states like Illinois and, and many others that have really built upon uh, uh, the best practices that have been established over the last decade. And so hopefully that's what we see in the year ahead. Now, I feel like the changes to the Treasury program's rescue plan dollar rules. The uh, the final rule came out um, just recently, and and made it significantly less complicated for local governments to choose to invest in areas where there may already be service. And and one might do this because areas um, may have a level of service that is not actually meeting local needs because of affordability or bureaucratic barriers or whatever. And so I think you know I want to spend a little bit of time here talking about kind of urban and rural. And and I mean, it might get a little bit messy as we go through this, I think, because like, there's so many different things to reference. So as we're kind of heading into this section of the interview, <laughs> let me ask you to start by thinking about, like, um, what have you done in Illinois on urban versus rural? Are they kind of different approaches? Like, you know, how, how do you tease those apart? First and foremost, I just think it's important to, to, to establish that this is not a rural broadband challenge. It is a statewide broadband challenge. And, and with that comes the opportunity and the funding uh, to address uh, shortcomings in broadband, whether it's access or adoption or use holistically around the state. And, and so from day one in Illinois, the message has been uh, to engage folks at the local level, the regional level, in all corners of the state, that if we're going to take advantage of the historic state commitment to broadband, which has now become an historic federal commitment to broadband, that you really have to have an all hands on deck approach that, that folks in all communities around the state that see, you know, shortcomings with the, the, the broadband status quo have a path forward. And so uh, almost from day one, we, we stood up you know, programming that supported that kind of conversation at the local level, uh, the Illinois Connected Communities Program, which uh, really has been instrumental uh, in engaging local communities, whether they're neighborhoods in Chicago or counties spread out around uh, rural parts of the state or really anything in between. Uh, we wanted to give those communities an opportunity to engage with, uh, with experts, uh, with uh, facilitation, best practice curriculum, uh, to think through where they are currently on the broadband spectrum and where they want to be uh, with their broadband vision in the years ahead and how to take specific steps, uh, whether it's an access adoption or utilization to making that vision a reality. And so just hats off to the, the Benton Institute and local philanthropy, the University of Illinois Extension Services. We're partnering with the uh, Illinois Office of Broadband to stand up this program. And, and we're in, in the midst of the, the second cohort. So now over 20 communities have engaged with us in uh, in making this program a success. And we we hope to, to launch the, the third round of of the Illinois Connected Communities Program in the in the uh, months ahead. I should also add, Christopher, though, uh, there's a wrinkle to this. Uh, with the federal funding that came down, we recognize that a lot of communities are in a position to invest ARPA dollars available to them specifically. And so we, we recently launched our Accelerate Illinois program, a 14-week crash course in really empowering local governments to think through how they can use those ARPA dollars, uh, come after the state for uh, Connect Illinois uh, infrastructure dollars, perhaps partner on uh, reconnect applications to have a large community role in uh, broadband access. And so I think that those two programs we're really proud of, uh, again, strengthening that hand of the local community and the community voice. Well, I hope our mutual friend Bill Coleman hasn't slowed anyone down too much. 
Yeah, yeah. Bill's been hard at work in Illinois. That's for sure. <laughs> I I just say that because I'm sure that he'll he'll listen to this interview with the, with um you and I in it. And uh, and Bill does great work. Uh, he's done a lot of work for many years with the Blandon Foundation. And I'm I was thrilled to see he's uh, getting active helping Illinois communities and um and just uh, really great to help people understand what their options are and and get into this industry without a bunch of jargon confusing them. Well, let me say this. Uh, uh, folks from Minnesota have been in high demand around the country over the last couple of years. And that's certainly true with the, the federal investment that we've seen. So we're, we're glad that we've got that capacity to share with the rest of the country. Okay. So I asked you to look at a thread that, um, that Larry Irving um, kind of um, got, got kicked up. Um, um, and uh, Catherine DeWitt, uh, Scott Rasmussen, uh, and Peggy Schaefer, all of whom I think are leading voices on, on this broadband challenge across the country, um, kind of going back and and forth. And, and I want to pin you down a little bit more on what's going on in Illinois in urban areas, because I think Larry asked a really good question, which is basically like, does anyone care? And is anyone doing anything at the state level on urban broadband challenges? Because it's so often we just hear about it within, with regard to the rural and the, the Biden rules from the treasury originally created unnecessary roadblocks for uh, urban areas that have now been removed to their credit. Um, and the question is, I think, you know, will states and, um, and I think, you know, um, I, I think it's pretty clear to me that um, I, I'll let you off the hook a little bit. I do want to know what Illinois has done, but I think Illinois, New York, and California um, have shown some leadership on this. And the question is, are there 10 other states that will be showing leadership on urban broadband challenges? But let me start by asking, what have you done in urban areas specifically in Illinois? Yeah, well, first of all, as I'd mentioned before, I mean, just establishing that they're part of the conversation with Connect Illinois, the vision for, for utilizing you know, state resources to, to improve broadband connectivity, adoption, and, uh, and utilization. And so we've had regular conversations with uh, folks at the city, with Chicago Public Schools, uh, with Cook County, uh, and in others throughout urban areas uh, in Illinois, uh, just to, to, to make clear that the Office of Broadband is here to support their vision and, and partner with them to, to take next steps. And so I know that there's a lot of a lot of energy at the city in uh, Cook County, uh, in the city of Chicago, Chicago Public Schools. Uh, I serve on the the Council for uh, uh, Digital Equity uh, that is run by uh, Cook County and, and uh, President Preckwinkle, and that's uh, I think a, an opportunity for the state office of broadband to hear from local leaders uh, and think through again their vision and, and try to align you know, state, federal resources with that on the ground, I guess, challenge and opportunity that, that we think is instrumental into making these dollars turn into wise investments. And so what we're doing, I think just establishing that they're part of the solution, that we take seriously their challenges and that we want to find a path forward to make their visions a reality. And so I'll just tell you this, uh, round one of Connect Illinois included a, a, a project in Cook County, uh, expanding institutional fiber network uh, to hard to reach areas, uh, connecting uh, some of their facilities. Uh, and the hope is that you know, we'll see more of that both in Chicago and Cook County and uh, around the state. When you talk with other state leaders, um, do you view it as kind of your goal is to make sure that that is, um, you know, being um, part of the conversation? Because I do think, and, and this is something that I think you and I should talk about, 
um, the politics around this is not just that like there's bad people who refuse to uh, who um, to recognize the challenge of of urban areas uh, where we have low income neighborhoods that are not well connected to the internet um, often because of affordability gaps uh, but um, although there's a, gr- a tremendous amount of digital inclusion work that needs to be done as well um, the simple fact is is that right now it seems really challenging to make that point when you meet talk with other people from other states do you have a sense that they are also focused on urban challenges? Are you kind of nudge them in that direction? Yeah, I have to tell you, I, I don't know where every state is on this question of balance between rural and urban broadband investment and, and programming. My view is that the conversation nationally has changed significantly in, in the last two years, and that simply looking at a, a broadband access map uh, based upon you know FCC 4477 data, or hopefully something that's more accurate, timely, and in, in, in granular, the point is it, it's beyond a simple question of access, but you really delve into the questions of affordability and adoption and bringing other data sets into the conversation. I truly believe that that is an approach that, that's it's really catching fire and that you're seeing, you know, throughout the country, uh, a whole more holistic approach to, you know, thinking about where broadband is and isn't and the different inputs to that very question. I think states are feeling their way forward on this one. I mean, I think that you, you look at, you know, federal, you know, rule, you look at uh, historic uh, definitions of, of uh, unserved and underserved. You have to reconcile that with, I think, uh, or like we just said, a, you know, a recognition that, affordability and adoption data is just as important. And so when you when you look at the digital divide, you know, we're trying to address it, you know, holistically. Access is one part of that. A lack of computers is another. Digital equity skills and, and literacy is another piece of that. Uh, but that there may be maps that'll show that access is sufficient in urban areas, but whether it's digital redlining or other insufficiencies, those maps just really don't tell the whole story. And I think that's the hard work that really has to be done. And so right now we're starting you know, to really uh, lean into conversations with the University of Chicago, City of Chicago, Chicago Public Schools, and having a better understanding of, of where broadband is and isn't and other barriers to adoption. Because if folks aren't using what's out there, well, there's a problem. We really want to do what we can to, you know, inspire full use and uh, and put our communities in position to get the most out of not only the assets that are currently in the ground, but also those that are going to be invested in through this again historic, you know, state and federal uh, funding. Now, you represent as we kind of continue, but we're almost done with the urban rural. You know, from my outline of of where um, we want to cover, um, you represented um, um, a, a rather red part of Minnesota now uh, in the Minnesota legislature as a Democrat. And so I know that you are not a super partisan person. You're a person who looks for solutions. And, um, and I just want to get that out there. Um, because what I'm about to say is that like, I find it frustrating that when I talk to people, I get this sense that like, um, that they think of like, Oh, the Republicans are out there trying to solve the problem in rural areas and Democrats are trying to solve the problem in in urban areas. And like, that's kind of the, the problem. Whereas I look at it and I say we had four years of the Trump administration and they put into place a pretty decent reconnect program that I'm pretty happy with. I mean, there's a lot of paperwork, but like I think it's a give them credit for that. They put more money into that, but they didn't really do anything. The Democrats came in and they put a historic amount of money out there for both urban and even more for rural. And so I look at it and I just feel like there's a political issue that like I don't really see anyone 
I shouldn't say anyone. I see far too few people championing the challenges we have in urban areas and everyone talking, all the Democrats talking about rural challenges and then Republicans often just not doing very much on broadband from my perspective. And so I'm just curious, you know, as someone who's followed politics, been inside of it, um, you know, how do you view the challenge of politics right now for getting money to solve the broadband challenge in the right areas to where it's needed? The world has changed over the last couple of years. <laughs> That's an understatement, right? I, I think I think we all used to rally around the notion that broadband is uh, an area of investment and that would garner support from both sides of the aisle. That there was not a rural, you know, urban split on, and that that really there was broad consensus that that you know this was a good investment. I think when you when you really start to look at this, though, I mean, I think some of the differences that you may see in the parties as role of government and whether or not you know big public investments should be made into this. I think the pandemic has pretty much settled that question. I mean, it's not going to get done if there's not you know, strong public-private partnership and, 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 and significant public funding uh, to build out networks and to, to make this investment. So it's great to see what the year 2021 produced on the broadband front in terms of the magnitude of investment. It's sorely needed. And so that's good, right? I think getting into the question about, yeah, I mean, where the, the energy and the support for this has come from. Um, I know in my time in, in the Minnesota legislature, I mean, we, we certainly faced obstacles and they weren't just, you know, from, you know, uh, the One usual party. suspects. You had multiple I, I, parties. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. And so and I think a lot of that, you know, folks might have bought into the notion that, you know, what was out there was good enough and that public investment wasn't needed. And, and OK, the pandemic has, has really established that that just isn't true, that you need that public investment on the broadband space. I think moving forward, because of how partisan uh, things are, and uh, the fact that if you look at a broadband access map, it really does show that that uh, a lot of the areas are, are rural that that need that need infrastructure investment. I, I do think it's important for this conversation politically to take on a balanced approach where you are, you know, striking the share of you know, resources to infrastructure into adoption into use and also questioning whether or not historic uh, assumptions of of what is sufficient infrastructure really pass the test of time and so that's why one of the reasons that we've been very intentional about making this a, a statewide effort of showing that there are investments to be made in in urban and rural areas and i think that that's going to be really important for us collectively to get the most out of this moment um, you know, okay, the investment's been made, but the work is just beginning now. And so I think it's going to be important for, you know, local leaders, for state leaders, for folks at the national level to recognize that we all benefit if we do this right. And that these investments, uh, well, many of them will flow to rural areas. Um, that's not the only area that's going to be invested in, that there are urban areas that are going to be much better off because of the broadband investment through the infrastructure bill, uh, through ARPA uh, and others. We absolutely need this investment to put our urban areas and our rural areas in a position to compete. And so, yeah, I think we're going to feel our way forward on what that balance looks like. And, and uh, it may you know, look like you know, different kinds of investments in, in different parts of the state. But I think that we all have something very concrete to benefit from if mm-hmm. done right. Sorry, I go on and on here, Christopher, but I think it's a good question. On the subject of these like political issues, I do have to say, like, I feel like earlier you said that Minnesota people are in high demand. I kind of wonder if everyone who cares about broadband at the political level has left Minnesota. 
um, because you know, I see people that are trying to do good work here and there. And I mean, Angie Dickinson in the state office, I think, is doing good work. But I don't see I don't see a legislative leader on this raising it up. It, it seems to me like if there's a bipartisan agreement in Minnesota, it's that broadband is boring. And they're not interested in it. In the governor's office, like, frankly, I can't tell what he's what they're thinking. Like, I, I just don't see any leadership on this historic money that's coming to Minnesota. And I just find it so frustrating. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Minnesota's lost its momentum for sure. And I think, you know, that that's getting out you know, nationally. Uh, I think we, you know, the state still has a, a grant program and office, a general approach that I think has served as a model. I mean, you look at what Treasury did with their with their rules, what, you know, what, what Illinois has done with other states. I mean, that that thread that began or, or certainly was stood up in Minnesota is around the country. I mean, you see it in statute across the across the state or across the country. Um, but you got to invest and you, you, you can't just sit back and, and I think um, expect that that momentum is going to carry forward. I think the infusion of federal dollars is a, is an opportunity for the state to, to, you know, hit reboot, get that 2.0 version uh, moving. But I, I would agree with you watching from afar. I, I think that if the state's going to be a leader in broadband, we need a fresh set of leaders who are coming in and going to elevate the issue. And, and it's not simply about, you know, meeting, you know, very basic goals about 25 by three around the state, but rather positioning the state to compete in the 21st century, uh, putting the state in a position to be at the forefront of, of innovative approaches to broadband investment, adoption, and use. Uh, I, I just see a complete dearth of energy, as you say, and, um, and it's not calling out anyone in particular, but, you know, I think, from the top on down, I think that you just really need to prioritize broadband. I remember the campaign trail in, in, in 2018. There was some talk, $300 million for broadband from the state. Well, I never saw that materialize. Uh, and I don't even think I've seen it materialize with the federal dollars that have been devoted. And you're probably aware that, I mean, and other people may not be aware who are listening, but I mean, people talk about how states don't have printing presses of cash. Well, we do right now. We have like insane, right, right. just crazy levels of surpluses that will result in a lot of good spending potential while also potentially allowing to give taxpayers back some money. And so like, this isn't a time where we're like, Oh, we got to cut the schools in order to fund broadband. <laughs> well, it's interesting. So you bring this up. It actually reminds me back in, I think it was 2014 when, uh, when we uh, had stood up the office of broadband the year before, uh, and we were going into that session with a historic budget surplus in Minnesota. Uh, and I think there was a, a, a young legislator who went around the state talking about broadband <laughs> and, and brought some ideas back into the session that year. And I think the point was, it was the perfect use of one-time funds because broadband connectivity is a challenge that can be solved and, and it can be solved through one-time funds. There are no tails on these dollars, so to speak. Uh, you put the, the, the funding in, in, in programming and investments uh, that, that can achieve their results, uh, achieve universal connectivity and access around the state. Uh, and then you can move on to the next big challenge. And so I look at, you know, Minnesota, I think it's in a, a great position right now if they wanted to double down on broadband and whether it's through their current border to border broadband grant program or something that's uh, a little bit more fresh and innovative. I think that that brings more of the state into view, uh, recognizing that again, 25 by three, uh, the federal, you know, basic broadband benchmark I mean, it allows one person at, at, at home to you know, do remote you know, learning or, or work from home. Uh, not two, not three, but one. Right. I, I think taking a second look at those goals uh, and taking a second look at, at the, the pace of investment, I think, would really serve uh, leaders in, in Minnesota well. But that's an opportunity that they have, a $7 billion opportunity, it sounds like. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll be curious. I, I, I've been assuming that there would be very little opposition to a new broadband standard that's 100 by 20. Uh, right. I think, you know, some of us will be pushing for it to be still more aggressive because we're concerned about the fact that it may not move again. You know, if, for instance, um, we have a new FCC with a new administration and um, in the in the actual presidential elections, uh, you know, we may be picking a broadband definition that's for six or seven or 10 years. <laughs> you never right, know. Right, right. Um, but anyway, so like, I think that's a good point. But let's I want to move to a different question, which is the, the actual challenges of running a state broadband office. So. What have you learned along the way in terms of vetting um, ISPs? Because this is really the, a big problem with the, uh, the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund program at the FCC that many of us think they didn't do a good enough job vetting. And so you have companies that have uh, significant um, likely challenges to meeting the obligations they're trying to take on. Um, or, you know, right. in, so in Illinois, like, let's just say for a second that I form um, uh, Mitchell's, uh, you know, con artist broadband LLC. <laughs> and, I, and I come and I start trying to get some Watch loans. Out. <laughs> you know what are what are you doing to make sure that I'm uh, not what my name says I am? Yeah, this is a great question, and I think as states that are standing up broadband grant programs for the first time right now, they're going to have to they're going to have to really deal with this in in how they get savvy uh, in, in in short order uh, and and can separate the wheat from the chaff and, and focus their investments accordingly. You know, for our part, you know, we, we're very meticulous in terms of, of our merit review process. And I think you see that in states that have stood up grant programs over the last decade, um, very specific goals in terms of scalability. So we want to be able to get to hundred symmetrical service. Uh, also in terms of like the, the financials that an ISP or a broadband provider would be, or an applicant would be bringing to the table. Uh, we want to see that they've done this before and not just trust that they're good ideas and the, in the resumes they share with us are enough. Uh, and also you look at, you know, Hey, you, you get on their website, you see how they talk about things, you see what they've done. Um, we have, you know, fuel validation crews that can get out and actually see what kind of service is being provided in the areas that they, that they serve. And so there are, ways in which you're able to, to really apply close scrutiny to their financials, uh, to the work that they've done, the level of service that they are providing. Uh, that's all part of what really needs to happen in due diligence before you award a grant. And so um, that's, I think, a lesson for all states. As you set up an office of broadband, you know, the idea that you're going to move this level of federal funding uh, with, you know, two people uh, or three people is just foolish. You absolutely have to have uh, the expertise, whether it's in-house or through consultants uh, to vet good projects, to vet broadband providers. Uh, you know, our, our goal uh, has been in Illinois and uh, you see it elsewhere. Don't make one mistake. You don't want to have one project, um, you know, blow up where you funded a, a, a provider to do work and, and, and they didn't do the job right. I think that's a high standard, but it's one that I think is really important for offices of broadband to to uh, to set for themselves. And so, putting that team together—that's a key point. Now, um, you got to have that technical expertise. You've got to have folks uh, from the grants management accountability standpoint uh, that they can work closely with your your grantee uh, and make sure they're doing what they're required to do. Uh, and then following it on the back end and whether you've got a, you know, a mapping vendor or you've got others that you've got, you know, a part of your team that can go out and do that field validation work to, to again, confirm that the work that was paid for through your grant agreement is, is the, the resulting product. 
that's that's part of the operation. And so again, it's not a two or, or three person undertaking. You've really got to build out a, a team, especially when you look at the dollars. I mean, states are going to be moving hundred million dollars by the end of the year, two hundred million dollars uh, at some point next year, five hundred million dollars, a billion dollars within the next five years. You've got to have that capacity uh, to not just move the dollars, but to to do it wisely. And do you do most of that work on staff then for for Illinois? Yeah. So with with um, I'll just speak to the Illinois model. It's it's been a very lean operation, and in, in I, I hope the state's able to build out uh, in the year ahead. Um, but you have a, a director, a grants manager, we, uh, a couple of consultants who help with the merit review process, who who can read through a hundred page you know application and, and and know what's being proposed in terms of technology, uh, spot red flags. Uh, look at the financials and make sense of strengths and weaknesses of of a, of a broadband provider's you know uh, financial uh, footing, uh, and then you know in the case of Illinois, there is you know mapping vendor that uh, not only collects data from providers but also is um, under contract to go out and you know, validate that the work is done to spec uh, and also validate the the broadband you know uh, access data that's provided to us. And so I think that you look at the team, you've got, you've got a focus on policy, you've got a focus on, on, on grants management, you've got a focus on, on technical uh, expertise in, in grants review. So looking at the applications that they come in. And then on the back end, we also have the capacity for, for validating that the work's getting done and, uh, and that, well, again, on the data front, that uh, the mapping is as accurate as possible. So the piece I haven't focused on here is the importance of having um, that community outreach and engagement. And this kind of circles back to a point that you brought up previously, clarity that communities can use their ARPA dollars for broadband. Any state should be encouraging those communities to do just that. And not only encouraging them to do it, but assisting them. And through community engagement and and, uh, local planning, capacity building, programming, you know, I think that that is what's going to turn a historic funding opportunity through ARPA and the Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act into transformative investment that's going to solve this, you know, broadband connectivity challenge, you know, for a generation. And so that's the point that we've really been stressing is we want to see local leaders lean into this broadband question. We want to see them invest their ARPA dollars, uh, infrastructure dollars in broadband. Uh, and we also want to support them in doing so. And so we talked about that, you know, connected communities program. We talked about mm-hmm. the accelerate program. Those sorts of things are really important. And I guess I would just, I would just speak to this, you know, in setting up your ideal office of broadband around the country, this is something that you can invest in or not. But if you've got folks who can engage with communities in house, I think it's going to improve your your, your output and uh, in, in what you're seeing from uh, your local communities. And so that's why I think you look at the ideal office of broadband, you know, you could have four or five people um, doing the work that I spoke of previously, but if you're actually going to be serious about that community engagement and helping local governments and communities seize this opportunity, you probably need the same amount of people doing that kind of work. And so you, you get to eight, 10, 12 people just like that. That's what an ideal office of broadband looks like in the year 2022. If you're going to take advantage of all the federal funding that's coming down the pike and put our communities, not just our broadband providers, which I, <laughs> I appreciate, but our communities in a position uh, to, to be uh, active in this investment. It's interesting because I feel like you have the capability potentially to release like an official Illinois map. I don't think you've done that, but what you're saying is is that you have the capacity to make sure that you know what you need to know on a mapping front. Yeah, we actually do have um, in Illinois. We stood up the Illinois Broadband Lab. It's a collaboration with um, 
University of Illinois, we have University of uh, Chicago, uh, the Benton Institute, and our mapping vendor, Connected Nation. And so we're all working together on data collection and mapping. And so uh, the mapping vendor has their specific contract to execute in terms of uh, broadband access data collection uh, and, uh, and field validation. Uh, but we're very interested in making sure that we're bringing other data sets into the equation. And so whether it's, uh, you know, American Community Survey data, it's uh, other data around adoption and utilization, uh, just getting as holistic a, a view of, of what, you know, the broadband situation is in terms of, get, again, access, adoption, use. That's what we're striving for right now. And so we do have an Illinois broadband map. Um, it's both on our website and also on the, the Illinois Broadband Lab website. Uh, and it's, I would just say this, I think currently the iteration is, is in line with a historic way of looking at broadband. I think over time, we really look to, to include more information on adoption, on pricing, uh, on other elements that uh, contribute to the digital divide. And so, again, I think that the mapping is great, but it's, it's also got to evolve with the times. All right. I asked you, I gave you a little bit of a warning. I was going to ask you a couple of, some little bit of, I don't know that I'll call them speed round because I'm terrible at enforcing speed round questions. Um, <laughs> I'm but, terrible at doing a speed round, <laughs> but let's go. <laughs> what What are some ideas that you've picked up from other states where you're like, oh man, that state's doing this thing. That's such a good idea. I want to, I want to do that. We just spoke about mapping. And so I think the, the mapping piece, you've seen some states get really innovative on mapping, bring in different data sets, uh, engage, whether it's higher education or communities or other organizations on, on getting mapping that is most useful for communities. I think that's really important. Always has been. But I think when you look at the, the dollars that are available to local governments, ma a mapping resource that is actionable for a local community or government. I think that's really important. And there are some states out there that I think are doing really good work on the mapping front. Uh, I think the community engagement and uh, you know capacity building front is really important as we spoke to. Uh, that's something that you know you look at what an office of broadband did a, a decade ago. That's not what they're doing now. And so I think more and more you see that kind of work. But you seem uh, like you're a leader on that. Are, are you picking up ideas on how other states are doing that? Well, I, you know, I don't want to say that, you know, that, uh, that Illinois is doing it best. It's something that we've been very intentional about doing. Um, and I got to tell you, you know, Christopher, my view of what other states are doing and innovating on right now in the midst of all this. You're not doing a 50 have, states. Study. You're not traveling vision. to every state. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, I mean, you know, we try to stay in touch and, in, 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 uh, you know, identify and, and uh, apply best practices where we can. I would just say those are the sorts of things that I think are really important right now. Um, I think getting to the question that you mentioned earlier, though, too, that balance between, you know, investment in what would be traditionally viewed as a, a, an area of need for broadband infrastructure investment versus, you know, the communities and urban areas telling us that their broadband is insufficient. I think states really leaning into that challenge and figuring out, hey, you know what? You know, th there's work that's got to be done on this front. We don't necessarily have the ideal model from any other state, but we want to lead on that. I think that's a really important part of this conversation. And so do I have, you know, states to say this state or that state's doing it best? I don't know about that. I just, I really respect a lot of the innovation I've seen in the last two years. Uh, it seems like many leaders at the state and community level, you know, had been waiting for this moment. It's here. And now uh, it's, it's here, folks. And now we're going 100 miles an hour. And so I think keeping up with what folks uh, are doing is going to be part of the challenge because I think we all want to be on the cutting edge. We all want to be doing what, uh, what is considered best practice or, or leading to best practice. And I think that that's, that's going to be the challenge for folks at the state level here in the next you know, few years. 
you want to innovate, you want to lead, but also taking the time to, to stay in touch with your peers around the country uh, and support some great ideas that are popping up at the community level, because there's not a one size fits all approach to this. And I think there's a, a whole world of innovation that's going to sprout up at that state and community level that's really been boxed in for the last decade. Well, thanks to this federal funding, I think the, the, the floodgates are opening and, and this is going to be a very exciting time to see that kind of innovation at the state and local level. Uh, Vermont. Uh, it's doing yeah. some interesting stuff with uh, community service districts, which um, I'm sorry, communications union districts. Um, and um, in uh, Illinois, I think, you know, you don't have that the same sort of challenges that Vermont does. You have a lot of local independent providers. You have a, a lot of folks that are trying to take advantage of the money that's available. Uh, but with Vermont, I thought one of the things I thought was interesting in their circumstances, they bought a bunch of fiber. And, um, and I can imagine, um, there's a few things you, there's a lot of pieces that ISPs want to customize and get for themselves, but there's some things like conduit and whatnot, where it might be, you know, interesting for the state to just buy a bunch of it during a a periods of the supply chain issue and then hand that out. Have you considered that at all? Yeah, it's, it's one of those thoughts about a, a year, year and a half ago. Um, you know, you think what's the best way of facilitating investment in, in broadband at the state level. And you thought, you know, should there be a fiber bank or should there be some sort of um, state investment in, in some of the inputs uh, to the broadband you know, network expansion that could help speed up, you know, the, the investment that's going to follow through the grant program. And so I think, you know, what you see a state like Vermont doing it, it really, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think the point about um, the, the broadband districts, I mean, it harkens back, we're talking about the Minnesota days, but I think creating that level of regional or, or community engagement where you've got uh, you know funding instruments that communities can identify and lean into for establishing whether it's local momentum or a non-state match, I think that's really important. Um, it's probably less important now because you have the ARPA dollars that are available directly to local governments. You've got the infrastructure funding that's coming down the pike. Uh, in an era where the funding was really the the challenge and and held up communities and community visions from becoming reality. I think that sort of innovative, you know, local regional finance model was really important. I still think it's really important. Um, It's just, it's too bad that we've had to wait so long to see this kind of innovation, but you pair that sort of approach, um, local regional, you know, visioning, uh, financing with the, the federal dollars that are available to local communities, uh, the emphasis on on uh, the regional layer when it comes to broadband access uh, and network planning, as well as digital equity and inclusion. I mean, the next couple of years are just going to be fascinating when you look at how all these pieces fit together. And I think one thing that I, you know, I think others will agree that the shift, you know, from from federal driven broadband solutions to more state and local driven broadband solutions, I think is going to be welcome for many. And I think, again, it's going to unlock a lot of innovation. And so those sorts of financing tools you speak of, uh, those sorts of planning models, I think are, hey, this is their time to shine. I think so. Too, and I'm just so thrilled at the federal level uh, that uh, leaders there have have recognized this and pushed money down to be distributed by the states. Um, but you you mentioned a fiber bank. I, I'm guessing you you decided against it. What are what, what complicates that? What makes it not a great investment for the state? Well, I'm not saying it's a bad investment. I think it's just it's a, it's a, it's a unique undertaking. And so I think if you're going to go down this road, you've got to get it right. But I think when you look at you know. I heard 72 week delays for fiber in some cases. I'm not, you know, every provider's got a little bit different, you know, situation. But the point is, if you're having to wait upwards of a year or more to get fiber or other key inputs into uh, necessary deployments, 
perhaps states should be thinking about ways of of getting ahead of that bottleneck or just speeding up the well the the collection of inputs. And so that's something that you know I, I kicked the tires on and didn't take next steps with it because um, believe me, we have our hands full with our Connect Illinois grant program. Uh, but nonetheless, I think that those are sorts of approaches that that states could certainly consider and are considering uh, in 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 terms of kind of speeding up the supply chain and, and heading off some of these pinch points. And so I don't want to say that we've dismissed the idea outright. It's something that you certainly could see again here in 2022. Uh, but for the time being, I mean, I think, uh, well, I hope other states really lean on that because I think that there's an opportunity. And then uh, the other question I wanted to ask, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to dodge this. Like, um, but uh, we'll see. you know, whether it's the, the Benton headlines, which are great, um, or the Keller and Heckman um, digest, which anyone who's listening to the show, if you're not on both of those lists for getting your news in the morning. Is there anything you could share with us where you just read a story and you're just shaking your head like, oh, man, like, come on, people. Come on. Oh, man. You know, I uh, I think the, the thing that I would just really push back against right now, and, and this theme has kind of come up a little bit already in our time together today, the notion that, that local governments shouldn't be part of this conversation. And sorry, this is, again, I'm kind of hit, you know, beating the drum. But <laughs> Oh, I'm totally going to disagree you, you, with you. <laughs> <laughs> you see, right, exactly. Right. Yeah, I'm talking to the you know, right audience here. But I, I just think that that's something that you continue to see, you know, pressure and pushback in, in rhetoric, you know, whether it's applied at you know, state leadership level or local communities. The idea that local governments just don't have a role in the conversation about their broadband futures. And, and, and this is something that's just, you know, been ingrained in me for the past decade is that if you're going to get it right, you absolutely have to have the local community's participation. And that can look differently, you know, from one community to the next. It doesn't have to be about a specific plan. It doesn't have to be about, um, you know, a local community raising a bond or applying, you know, ARPA dollars in this case, or applying for a grant. But I think the point is they've got to be part of that conversation. And you know, I know that you you get that and you've been at the forefront and advocating for a stronger local role for, for a decade plus. But I think the, the point is we're, we're definitely going to see uh, pressure against that local role in the year ahead. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that that is a linchpin in, in making this historic opportunity one to remember uh, a decade from now. And when we look back and say, you know, it was great, but it could have been better. And so is there any one article? No, but you just see that kind of pressure. You see that tension that's out there. And I, I think that with the capacities that we're standing up at the state level across the country uh, with communities that are just chomping at the bit to be part of this conversation. I'm really optimistic that we're going to have a a new approach to, to state local federal partnership uh, among those three levels of government with our broadband provider community. And we get this right. It doesn't mean it's going to be the same sort of model in every community, but I think those are the elemental parts of, uh, of a solution that can stand the test of time. And so I don't know. I'm I'm hopeful that we're going to see more of that, not less of it uh, in the years ahead. Well, I think almost every listener to the show probably agrees with that. There's something that I, I don't know how um, all the listeners would uh, would agree with that I'll say that I think makes me think, which is uh, the opposite of that, which is that I feel like a lot of people assume that you and I, people in this work, hate the cable and telephone companies. And there's certain things that they've done that I do hate, 
But I absolutely get annoyed at people that assume that like my goal is to run Comcast out of business or AT&T out of business. Like there's a line that I read that I think Harold Feld said like maybe like I don't know, 18 years ago or something like that, which was like, my job isn't to run these guys out of business is to make them work for a living. And, and I just like, I mean, I've, you and I, we see problems and we want to try to fix them. And we don't believe the fix is bankruptcy for those companies. We think the fix is like some solutions that those bank, that those companies don't prefer maybe, but it doesn't mean that we don't see a future for them, you know, in the broadband world. And sometimes I think people that are like, you know, really supportive of the work that we're doing, people who are out there doing work that we're allied with. Some of them, I think, might want to try to kill these companies off. Like, that might be, like, kind of a long-term goal. And it's just not for me. It's not a motivation for me. Like, and I just feel like it's weird even just admitting this. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, look how cathartic this is to, to speak freely here uh, um, on the podcast. <laughs> I think, look, I mean, I, it's going to take all of our our contributions, public and private, local, state, federal, to, to get this right. And so I... I think that those challenges and frustrations in certain communities are justified and in, in, in many cases not. I just know in my experience in Illinois it was entirely positive working with the provider community. That wasn't necessarily true in Minnesota, uh, far from it. Mm-hmm. But uh, in, in Illinois, it's been entirely positive. And, you know, as I, as I uh, have worked in other states and, and will continue to, to, to work in other states, I think that, um, you know, I hope we see more of that kind of positive, constructive partnership model between the private sector and the public sector. Uh, I am optimistic because, um, look, we've had executive leadership, and I think that's what really sets the the table. In Illinois, Governor Pritzker uh, putting broadband connectivity uh, atop his agenda. Uh, I think that, that, that certainly set the table for constructive conversations between the public and private sectors on broadband. I think um, nationally, I think with uh, broadband having the position it has had in ARPA uh, and in the Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act, it makes me optimistic that that there's constructive conversations to be had uh, around the country. But again, you can't take that for granted. You can't assume it's just going to materialize. I think that we've been around the block long enough to know that this is going to take, you know, continual attention and nurturing and, uh, you know, we're not naive here, but I think in mm-hmm. order to make the most of the investment, we've got to keep an open mind to to partnerships, to to leveraging you know private investment to the fullest, to giving that community voice a path forward. And so, I'm going to say it again, man. It's uh, all hands on deck, and uh, I'll I'll keep pushing that approach until uh, well, and, and until I come up dry. Yes, and I agree. And that's what it comes what it comes down to for me. Sometimes we forget it. There's 330 million fellow Americans. We're in this together. And it's a heck of a lot of different solutions that we can embrace and still all, you know, get the job done. So um, exactly. Matt, I really appreciate your time. As always, I appreciate your, your public service too. Thank you so much for that. Thanks for all you're doing. Great to join you today. Sky Yuma. Sky Yuma. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadband bits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at CommunityNets. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.